Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of your love, grace, mercy. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you for raising us up to be strong, powerful children of God, to be warriors for the kingdom of God, be ambassadors of your grace while we're here in this foreign place. Lord, thank you for helping us, healing us everywhere we heard, empowering us through your promises. Thank you for loving us so much and for prospering us in every way. Thank you that we can go and help others with that same help we receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jeremiah 1. The Lord was calling this young, reluctant prophet to the ministry. He said the word of the Lord came to him in verse 4 of chapter 1. And the Lord told him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. (coughs) Then he said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And I turn to Jeremiah, the same prophet, after he took up that responsibility and went on about it for many years. We're all familiar with this passage of Scripture from Jeremiah 28. Most people know verse 11. And that's where I'm going to start. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. But let's keep reading. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Interesting. God has a plan for each of us. God knew the plans that he had for you before you were ever born. It doesn't mean that you're going to fulfill those plans. The the teaching that says that The sovereignty of God is complete and that he's pulling every string and everything is happening just as he wanted it is not true to that extent. I always say the graveyard is full of beautiful and wonderful treasure that was never discovered, never utilized. Just look in Hollywood and look around the music industry and you look around the whole world on Wall Street, (laughs) whatever. Look at all the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given people that they never one day in their life 
used for his benefit or for the welfare of the kingdom of God. Never asked him, never sought him about it. And so they never entered into his plan. But he does have a plan and it's good. It's better than the one that we have for ourselves. And that's... (laughs) People say, well, you know, he better hurry up. (laughs) He better hurry up. I'm, I'm not prospering. My future is is looking a lot like my past. Have you sought him with your whole heart? Oh, this is weird. It's throwing me off. (laughs) You want me to sit over there? (laughs) (laughs) It's an important question. Have you sought him with your whole heart? I'm not talking about a legalistic way. I'm talking about a personal way. I'm talking about a... Just think of the person that you've ever loved the most in this whole world and and just how you've just invested in them. That's, That's what I'm talking about. That's sort of a relationship. Some people say, well, yeah, you know, I... I have a set time. I, I go and I pray for three hours in my prayer closet and, and then I give my tithe of 10% of all my increase and then I give offerings above that and, and I'm in church whenever the doors are open and, and I serve on every committee and I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with them to do. But God hasn't prospered me and He hasn't revealed His plans for me. Well, you might just be religious, if that's the case. And that's a very dangerous place to be, too. None of the things that person who said all that was doing was was bad in itself. But it may be still keeping them from receiving from God, you see. Because they feel entitled Like they've earned something from God. I did all this, and he hadn't done that. Well, that's, you just told me why. Because you're expecting it, you you think you've earned something from God, and you haven't. If it's not based on the grace of God, because of what Jesus has paid for, what Jesus did on the cross, what he has provided by grace through the atonement of the cross, then it's, not something that God's going to provide. And if it's, if it's something that you're demanding of Him, He's not compelled to act on your behalf. Your whole life, in the direction that it goes, has everything to do with the way that you treat the Son of God in this life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> If you think he's withholding the good that Jesus died to give you, then you really don't know God. That's, that's, that's the hard truth of a situation like that. John 17.3 says that, that's, that knowing God is the definition of eternal life. 
Jesus defined it for us on that fateful night. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Knowing, and, and that same word for knowing is the same word they used in Genesis for Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. So it's a passionate, intimate, personal relationship with God. And God is love. God is love. Agape love. The unconditional type of love. The kind of love that's supernatural. Not, not the worldly kind of love. Well, I, I love you based on what you do for me kind of love. Which really isn't love. It's lust. But the kind of love that's just a choice. The kind of love that you have for the, the wayward child or the, or the parent or, or just whatever. Just, you can't just unlove them because of their actions. That's the way he feels about us. And it's the way we're supposed to feel about the whole world. Because we, we're supernaturally able to discern the difference between the person and the action. In a world that identifies themselves with their actions, you see. So if you hate their actions, you hate them, no. But they don't understand because they can't see. They don't, they don't have the ability even to understand spiritual truths. Those without the Spirit of God can't even understand the things of God. So how can you be angry at someone who's just ignorant, even if they act so ugly about it? You just choose to love them. And pray for them. Because the best thing that can happen is that God get a hold of them. Change their heart. Change their mind. Help them to see God's truth and embrace it. Amen. God is love. But if we don't know how much God loves us. See, this is a foundational truth. The love of God for you. Because if you don't, then you'll never love him the way that you want to. Or that you think you're supposed to. Amen? Amen. Why do I know that? First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Not knowing is why sometimes we're bitter, angry, um, unforgiving, prideful, willful, <laughs> you know, our way instead of God's way. Still trying to do things in our own strength, in our own way. Carrying all the weight, see, of the management of our own lives on our own backs. Instead of letting Jesus carry the load. Why? Because we don't trust him with it. Because we don't know how much he loves us. If we believed it, knew it, we'd be happy to entrust him with it because he's faithful and he's good and he has good plans for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope in the future, right? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That sound good? Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and I and you will find rest for your souls. Your souls are where you get tired. You say, no, it's just my body. Really, it's not. Not, not that your body doesn't get tired. It does. But the mental part is more, more taxing on you than the physical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's using some old farming terminology there. I could explain all that, but I won't. Because I could just see Tavana sitting here if I started explaining the, the yoke and the oxen and all that going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Let's look at John 10.10. I'm talking about some very, very familiar passages of Scripture, but I just want us to really think about them for a change. You know, sometimes we get so used to quoting something, we forget to meditate on it. And I want to put it all into light and put some light on it in perspective. Make it rhema. Make it to come alive for you. Amen. John 10.10 is one that I quote, I'm sure, every week refer to and conversations throughout my week and it's a sort of a foundational scripture because they were always accusing Jesus of being bad you see associating him because especially having been under the law for 1500 years when God was holding some things against people he was judging some things and he and there was no way for them to fight against Satan if you had a demonic spirit amongst you, the most loving thing God could do, and I want you to think about this, was destroy that person. Sometimes. Why? Because it's infectious. Why does Satan never mention? He's mentioned, he's talked about in the Old Testament. But not directly. He's, he's only mentioned a couple of times. And then he's talked about in parables. Which we can now interpret spiritually. Why? And then he's talked about so much. Jesus talked about him so much in the New Testament. Because there was nothing they could do. All they could do back then was do what God told them to do. And then temporarily, under the blood of Animals and goats and sacrifices, he could he would temporarily keep them under his protection from the enemy. But there was nothing they could directly do. They had no authority against the works of the devil like we do. So now we need to know about him. That's why I would teach about him and teach about his army and teach about his intent, which is what we're talking about right here. John ten ten. Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Talking about the devil. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So he's making a distinction between him and the enemy. Him and the one who really comes to steal from you. In in every way you can think of. Steal your health, steal your wealth, steal your joy, steal your life. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy. He says, I'm the one 
It came for them to have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. So he wants you to have an abundant, prosperous, full life. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health. That's God's desire for you. Really? Oh, I thought he was a mean God with the lightning bolt. No, that's Zeus. He's a fictitious character from Greek mythology. He's not old either. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So then, why am I not living the John 10.10 life? Everybody talks about the good, good God, bad devil. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came. He wants me to have life, have it more abundantly. Why am I not living the John 10.10 life? Well, you are. You are. One of two ways. Or maybe a combination of both. Mm-hmm. You're either empowering Jesus and the grace of God, or you are empowering Satan, death and destruction. You're the one with the authority. Yeah. God gave dominion or control of this world to people with these earth suits. We gave it away in the garden to Satan. We created Satan, not God. He created Lucifer. A beautiful cherub, a powerful angel, the head of the praise and worship team up there, right in the presence of God. He was awesome and wise and beautiful, and and iniquity was found in him, and he tried to usurp God, started reading his own press, and he was cast down to earth. And he needed to find someone with authority to give him power, and he did. He got into that snake and then he went to to Eve and, and Adam and, and, and so forth. And then for so long, for, for all those thousands of years, God was looking for 4,000 years for someone. And he had to come himself to get that authority back. Now we have it. If we enter into Christ. Amen. But in every way, he became like us, didn't he? I don't want to switch sermons here. So, I, I'm just, I have a lot of scriptures here, and I'm just believing the Holy Spirit to tie them all together for you. Amen? With me so far? Yes. All right. So, if you're not enjoying the blessings of the Jesus side of John 10.10... 10, the abundant life, it's due to, let me say probably due to, unbelief to some degree. Yeah. Now listen, we all operate some level of unbelief. No, I believe. I do too. I know you do. But I'm telling you, there are areas of our life that we haven't completely surrendered to God and it's it's unbelief. Not that thing. He can't. You know, that, I like that. So what you're saying is he won't give you something better if you hand it over. Mm-hmm. So it's unbelief. Because I say he will. 
He says he will. More importantly, no matter what I say, he better say it. This better back it up. And it does. Amen? Amen. And it could be, we're all compartmentalized. We have, we're like an onion, so many layers, just like pride. And all of unbelief is pride, believe it or not. What we're, we, we may agree with God in so many areas of our life, and it's just prospering and blooming, and then there's other things that maybe some people don't even see or know about, but it's very painful, you know. In those areas, we're struggling. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Verse 19. Matthew 17, verse 19. I'm going to read this from the King James Bible, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? What they're talking about, because I don't want to, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole story, but you're familiar with Jesus and James and John and Peter came down from the Mount of Transfiguration where they had been in the presence of God the Father and Moses and Elijah and just having a wonderful time. Come down the mountain and there's a big fuss going on. All the other disciples are there. A man had brought his son who had a demon and it was uh, epileptic, we believe. And it would cast, throw him down, throw him into the fire, try to, you know, how an epileptic does. My sister used to suffer with that. Just not to that degree. But they, he, he said, I, I, brought, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't cast him out. And Jesus said, oh, he got frustrated with them. He said, how long am I going to? have to put up with y'all basically bring him to me and he cast it out and the boy was free but then the disciples came because see remember back in Matthew 12 Jesus had given the disciples authority over all the works of the enemy and they remember even the 72 came back and they were like wow praising God and saying even the, the demons are subject to us they even they even scared of us in your name. And he goes, don't. And he goes, yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Don't, but don't rejoice in that. Be happy that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, yeah, that's not a big thing. Okay, so now why, why isn't this one doing the same thing? They all, they all ran away from us before. Now we couldn't get rid of this thing. <clears throat> why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said in verse 20, because of your unbelief. I always say, if you're going to be a believer, be a believing believer. <laughs> it's a good, good thing to be a believing believer. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. I should have done the New King James Version, because it's right too. <laughs> You say you should. You can say, tell this mountain to move, and it'll be uprooted and cast into the sea. It'll move too, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing. 
Howbeit this kind goeth out, not but by prayer and fasting. The reason I wanted the King James or the New King James or the Berean study or just a few others, most of them have this translation, I believe, I'm convinced, wrong. And that word unbelief, they put for your little faith or lack of faith or something like that. That, is, that doesn't even make sense. Because he goes on to say next that if you even have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and it will do it. King James, when they did the King James Bible, which is, <laughs> when they saw something that didn't look right, they didn't try to fix it. They just translated it like it was. And that was the, that's the good thing, because what he's talking about here is unbelief. You know, you can operate in faith and unbelief at the same time. It's like a spiritual tug-of-war, though. And it'll keep you from making progress. Even when people are sick and stuff like that, if I'm praying for them, I, I, I just I have to talk to them first. I need to find out where they're at spiritually. If I, because if they're in really, in, really in unbelief, I have to counter that with Scripture. I have to help try to make their faith rise up a little bit. At least I tell them, I need to at least get you in neutral instead of driving backwards. Then I could pull you on across with my faith, you see. <laughs> but not when you're pulling against me. Because of your unbelief. You say, well, I do believe. I pray. I fast. Ask anybody. Hypocrites love to fast and pray. Oh, you're saying prayer and fasting aren't good? I didn't say that. They are good. If you're believing correctly and you understand the benefits of them. So if you're if you're praying, believing for the promises of God, for the things that Jesus has provided by faith, that God has already provided, that's, that's good. If you're fasting to try to get rid of you, your flesh, your fogginess, trying to hear God better, good. If you're thinking you're going to fast and make God do something, wrong. If you think you're going to pray or get a prayer chain or get all your prayer warriors or the prayer... T- wrong. I, you know, I'm not against anyone praying. And, I, and, you know, hey, if you don't know anybody, throw it all up there. Hey. <laughs> at least you're, at least you're, you're not honoring the devil, you know. But if it's not as effective of a prayer life as you'd like it to be, then maybe you need to tweak your prayer life a little bit and you need more understanding. That's all. When I heard this, these truths, I was very glad. I was always, I'm always glad to know that there's something that I have a part to play in. That teaching where God's sovereign to the degree that everything is God and you have nothing to do with it. Well then, shoot, that's going to compel me to go do whatever the devil wants me to do probably. I don't know. If you have nothing, no control, then it leaves you either hopeless or sinful. <laughs> My wife grew up in a Pentecostal church. and Hold on. I think she got on to me last time I said this. Maybe not. It was something else. 
Anyway, but she, she said, well, we, we were told we were all going to hell anyway, so we might as well figure we might as well enjoy it while we were here. You see? You take away somebody's hope and their, and their part to play in the relationship, then, you know, what are they going to do? You put, put the law on somebody, it causes them to do worse. I heard about the, the little boys who walked past this yellow house every day going to school for a couple of years. Never did anything. And one day the, the, the owner put a sign in the front yard said, Do not throw rocks at this house. And the next day every window in that house was busted. There's something in us. <laughs> Don't do this. Well, I will. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6 Mosey around here for a minute Praise God Y'all having fun? I was just hanging out with the Lord. He just gave me all this stuff. I used to really struggle. And then he said, just, just feed them what I'll feed you. Makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it says here. And when you pray, starting at the fifth verse. You must not be like the hypocrites. (laughs) When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray. (laughs) Hypocrites love to pray. Standing in the synagogues and at the street corners and so that they may be seen by others. You ever know anybody like that? See, the devil loves to be seen and heard. Truly, I say to you, they've received a reward. Wow. Isn't that sad? When you pray like that, then you got your reward. What was the reward? That little pat on the back. That little, wow, they sure can pray good. Wow, man, that was powerful. Thank you. That was a powerful prayer. There it is. That's your reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Is this telling you, okay, oh, wow, I haven't been going into my room and shutting the door. Is that, is that how I'm supposed to, is that why? I've, no, it's not what he's saying. He's just talking about humility. He's talking about a personal relationship between you and him. Please don't make a doctrine out of it, you know. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that, when he said Gentiles, he's talking about unbelievers. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. There's another thing there. A lot of people feel like the more, the lengthier they pray in the King James English, then, you know, that's really going to get God's attention. It's not true. 
God already knows everything you need before you ask. Doesn't he? Isn't that what the Bible says? Sometimes help is a good prayer. Jesse Duplantis, he talks about a time he had a wreck one time and he he saw popcorn everywhere. They said, you didn't see no popcorn. And they went and got the wreck. It was all mangled mess. And But the, <laughs> the glove box had opened up and there was popcorn that he had in there from a movie or something. You know, I guess he twisted the bag open or something. And popcorn flew everywhere properly while he was tumbling through the... You know, one of his many flips or whatever into that mangled mess. And he ended up in the hospital and he's like, popcorn. They're like, what? But he said all he remembers saying was, Jesus! And he was basically unscathed. He was about to see the car. He'd say, nobody survived that mess. That was a good prayer, though. Jesus! Amen! Jesus said, pray like this. People call this the Lord's Prayer. This is not the Lord's Prayer. You want to see the Lord's Prayer, go to that fateful night when he was betrayed and looked. This is a more of a model prayer, and I can tell you this, it's an Old Testament prayer. Our Father in heaven, that's a good place to start though, that is a good most people are praying, our, our judge who art in heaven. Instead of thinking of him as a good father, because he is. Hallowed be your name. That's good. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt. People think that they're having to go and beg God for their daily bread. He's not saying that. We're just acknowledging the one who does give it. He's already provided for all these things. And our food and water, by the way, are already blessed. All we need to do is give him thanks for that. (laughs) Am I killing too many sacred cows for one day? (laughs) And forgive us our debts. Does that tell you that it's an Old Testament prayer? It is. Why? Why? We're already forgiven. Is it still good to ask God to go to him and talk to him about your sins? And Yeah, why? So he'll forgive you? No. So you'll forgive you. So your conscience is pure. So you can go and serve him with confidence. He forgave you 2,000 years ago. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's not going to lead you into temptation. He led Jesus into temptation for 40 days in the wilderness. Old covenant, see? Thank you, though, for that, Lord. Then he goes on about forgiveness. But, you know, it seems like the more I preach on forgiveness, the more people have offenses. So I'm going to leave that one alone for a while. The point here is that in a crisis situation, it's imperative that you be a doer of the word. But I was just wanting to to make some qualifications to that. 
Because you do want results. And it is important that we do what the Word says. This, the Word of God is the will of God. You see? But your doing has to be motivated properly. If you think God's going to move in your life proportional to your actions or behavior, it's not true. It's just not. This is the new covenant. Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection and enthronement, it meant a lot. This blank page between Malachi and Matthew means a lot. (laughs) Go over to John chapter 14. I'll try to stay there for a minute. The last of the four Gospels. John chapter 14. This is on the last night of the Lord's life here on earth. Before He was resurrected. And... Around the 15th verse, I want to look at this, and then I want to make some qualifications again, but it was, hopefully this all comes together for you. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, and right there, people go, okay, if I keep his commandments, that means I love him. Or if I keep his commandments, then I'll love him. No. And I'll ask the Father, and He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You see, people have spiritual dyslexia sometimes. You know, dyslexia is, and you see everything backwards. Dog is God and all that. <laughs> God, see, I've had it backwards already. <laughs> but they interpret the meaning of Scripture backwards sometimes. Spiritual dyslexia. It can be caught by being in close contact with religion. <laughs> oh, come on. I thought that was funny. <laughs> What do you call a sleepwalking nun? A roaming Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping commandments doesn't cause you to know God. Knowing God will cause you to keep His commandments. If you're living an ungodly life, you don't really know God. I'm going to say this again. Keeping God's commandments does not cause you to know God. But knowing God will cause you to keep His commandments. First John... Keep your finger there, but then go to the epistles in the back. First John chapter 2. Because we have to make this distinction. Verse 3. This is the only way you can combat and overcome religious folks when they try to tell you stuff. 
<laughs> and condemn you and beat you up. And then you find out you know Jesus better than they do. And then you try to help them, see? First John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Oh, wait a minute. See there? It says if I keep His commandments, I will know Him. It's not what it says. That's that spiritual dyslexia that religious people have. You want to know God, you've got to keep His commandments. You want to love God, you've got to keep His commandments. No. You get to know God... You will keep His commandments. You get to know God and His love for you. You will love God. You see? It seems like a little thing, but this is one of the biggest revelations you will ever have of the Word of God. Of God Himself. It'll help you to enter into that relationship. You need to know the love of God for you. And then you need to understand your spiritual identity. Spirit, soul, and body. And how God sees you. And how the war is really over. And, and all these other things. But the foundational thing is that God loves you. And that Jesus paid the price for that. <laughs> it's not because of your good behavior. It's not because you're lovely. Although you are. God says you're wonderful. He's got your picture in his wallet. But Jesus earned that for you. Amen. So quit looking at all of everything that you've done and saying, well, that just rules me out. But instead, look at all of your problems and your mess as what qualified you for the grace of God. And then just receive it freely. Amen? Amen? There was a German theologian in the 1500s named Martin Luther. You ever heard of him? Not Martin Luther King. He was named after him. But Martin Luther was a, a German theologian, a, a priest. And he got a revelation. He's responsible for the, 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 the reformation of the church in, in large part. And uh, the Lutheran denomination, etc. But he got a revelation of Romans chapter 2. And he saw that all this legalistic stuff was wrong. And he saw that we are saved by faith alone. He got such a revelation of that, that he wanted James, the book of James, put out of the Bible. Because in James 2.17, remember the brother, the half-brother of, of Jesus, he wrote the book of James, and it's powerful. And he said in, in James 2.17, faith without works is dead. And, and Martin Luther was like, no, that, that opposes the fact that we're saved by faith alone. No, it doesn't. It complements it. Because what James was saying is that, he says, you show me your Faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Again, the spiritual dyslexic religious folks see that as see. You have to you have to do some things. No. He's saying my faith compels me to do some things. 
You see? Knowing God and loving Him based on His love for you and growing in that relationship, and once you really get a revelation of it, an understanding of how much God loves you, how much He's done for you, it will call, you can't keep that quiet, you see? And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's, you get to a point where you say, where's God? You say, praise God. So, so we are saved by faith alone. But our faith, if it's true faith, it's going to produce. It's going to cause some things. Right? So, if, if that's the basis, if we're saved by faith, if we're saved by grace, through faith, and Jesus has paid for it all, we're forgiven, then why live holy? First of all, if you have to ask that question, then you really don't know God. Because one of the answers is because it's just who you are now. So you really haven't discovered your new identity yet. Because when you do, then when you go back and you try to go back to what God brought you from, then you'll feel like a hypocrite because it's like, this isn't any fun anymore. You know? Second of all, you'll love him so much because of how much you realize he loves you that you won't ever want to do anything to harm him or his reputation. That's how he got me here. Because I said no. And then he showed me his church and the condition of it. But the other thing is, Romans 6.16 says that don't you know that whomever you owe, you yield. Let's go back. Romans 6.16. I'll go over there and tell you what it really says. Because I'll put it in Texan. And you have to go translate it back. Romans 6.16. Sorry, I was in John still. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So, when you yield to Satan... You're empowering Satan in your life. When you yield to God, you're empowering God to work in your life. That's what Romans 6.16 explains. So that, that gives me enough reason to know to run to God instead of the devil. Yeah? Every time I 
Man, I got so mad at a guy the other day. He just said something to me. It bugged me so much. And it wasn't a big thing, but it was to me. And he's just he's walking this little poodle dog, this little white poodle, right? And I mean, my mouth just almost wanted to say, you better get a bigger dog. You want to talk to a man like that. <laughs> talk like that will make your eye hurt. But I didn't. Hand it all up. And then I had to repent the whole way home. Bless him, Lord. I forgive him. I forgive him. Help me, Lord. What's wrong with me? What's Get this out of me. <laughs> because I don't want to give the enemy access. Besides, and if I don't, and I don't, if I don't then God's going to get that guy anyway. See? But if I would have said something... It would have caused me harm because it would have allowed the devil access to me. And then God wouldn't have fought that battle for me. But do you believe that? If we can just keep our mouth shut and not take up for ourselves when we're so wronged, you know, and, and offended. If we will just let God do the fighting for us, he does it so much better. Amen. So much better. Jesus said in John 3, 3, you have to be born again. Amen. If you're not saved, you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First things first. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 explains. Jesus comes first. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit. Remember when uh, John the Baptist says, that one comes after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus has to come first, and then we can receive the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, I'll try to wrap it up here. Oh my goodness, I'm not even... <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Tell me I helped somebody so far. I mean, because this is not going to get wrapped up in a boat, pretty bunny ears like Harper would say, the boat, you know. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We all baptize into Jesus, and then Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Ghost. If we ask, and we need to ask because it's very important if you really want to be successful in your Christian life. Jesus had been talking to the disciples and he told them, remember I read a minute ago, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, the Holy Spirit has been with you. He will be in you. You remember that? Well, let me go back. So he had been with the disciples, but then he'd be on. So it's the same with us. The Holy Spirit draws us to the Father and the Son. Then Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Ghost. And then the Holy Ghost will reveal Jesus to us all through this life. That's what we need. We need everything we do to be running through those filters 
of the grace of God, of the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, knowing that He's right there with you all the time. Used to be that thing, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say, you know? But Jesus tells you in Matthew 6, 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seeking after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, will be added to you. So all the things that the world is chasing after and worrying about, Jesus said... We already know you need them. What are you worrying about? Quit worrying about those things. Seek the kingdom of God. John 1.12 But to all who did receive Him, Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us. You ever feel like... You're a stranger in a foreign land. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Jesus went through the same thing. You're a child of God. Do you see yourself that way? He'll supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Everything is His. There's no good thing that He will withhold from those who love Him. We just need to get to know Him. And as we see how much He loves us, then we will love Him more and more. Right? And the more you're in His presence, the more you'll become like Him. Oh, I thought you said I didn't have to go into my prayer closet and sit. No, you don't. You know, you can practice His presence. You know, I don't, go, I don't go into a prayer closet. But I pray all the time. All the time. I have discovered that prayer is something way different than what most people think. Uh-huh. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. Too many people relate their identity to their vocation. That's not who you are, that's just what you do. You're a child of God. <laughs> Be like Jesus and take on the highest calling and the highest title on this earth. Servant. And you would go through all these epistles in the back and you'd think, well, what's the highest title in the church or whatever? Well, it's probably apostle. And then, no. They all start out and Peter and all these guys and, and Paul and they, they start out a servant, a servant and an apostle or a servant, servant of God. That's the highest honor, the highest title. God doesn't care so much about what you do as far as your vocation. 
He needs doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs, chief cooks and bottle washers. He needs everything. But you can still be a child of God and a servant for the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Man, I'm not even going to get to the core of the message that I thought I was going to minister today. But I I can tell that we've hit the sweet spot already today. So the Lord is just telling me to wrap it up. So we're just going to stop here. We never finish. We just stop and start again. Amen. Amen. Have you received from the Lord today? Yes. Praise God. I'll have to listen to it and hear that myself because I don't know what. If I listen to it and I'm blessed, then I'll know it was God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this day. and Thank you for your word. Thank you for this place that you've given us to come worship you together. Thank you for growing this little body of believers, your children, into something very special and strong for the benefit of the world and the kingdom of God, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much and raising us up and helping us. Help us to go and help others with that same help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.